and welcome back to an episode of the Clue Your Jets podcast where host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, it is officially game week. I cannot believe I get to say that. Six days away from one of the most anticipated Jet season openers uh, that I can recall. Maybe that's just recency bias, but the Sam Donald revenge game, the, the new Robert Sala and Zach Wilson regime, it just seems like everything's culminating for either an amazing kickoff to this season or a horrible letdown so how are you feeling six days out yeah I don't think you're overreacting to say this is one of the most anticipated openers just because of how many storylines there are going into this game not just because of everything the Jets did this offseason and where they are at the point in franchise history that they're at but just because of this being the Sam Darnold revenge game and the debut of so many key players and coaches who are starting this new era for the team uh, it's a really exciting way to start the season but as goes with excitement in team sports when you're a fan of a team um it raises the ceiling of how much fun it could be but it also puts the floor all the way down to where if you lose this game uh it's really disappointing to lose to sam darnold in his first game with the new team so uh it, it's definitely really exciting right now but once once the ball gets kicked off it's going to be high stakes high stress uh, just like it always has been for this team how do you think it compares to 2019's opener against the Bills? Because to me, that I was pretty excited about that. And granted, you know, we were all excited to see Le'Veon Bell and it was the new uniforms and a new coaching staff. So it's kind of similar in that regard. But I don't know, maybe my – I think maybe my my expectations for the team, uh, you know, I, have, I feel like I have a longer view of, of success, what success means for this team. So I don't feel like it's as rushed as in 2019 – I don't, I'm not saying we were putting a playoff mandate on the team, but it felt like, you know, like it was a team that could maybe take off. This seems more like a team that's really building something special, but might not be there yet. How do you feel like the excitement level uh, compares to that versus 2019 and maybe some other home openers? Or well, season I, openers? Yeah, I definitely was really excited and pumped going to 2019. I, I guess we are all kind of blind to having Adam Gase as our coach, but just because of Darnold being in his second year, the new uniforms, um, some of the free agent additions they made. There was definitely a lot of hype going into that one. And I know you just listened to that crowd. That that crowd is really amped, like especially that two-point conversion catch by Bell. There was a lot of energy in the building for that one. That's got to be one of the loudest MetLife Stadium games. Um, so I was hyped for that one. And it is similar because I remember when the Jets lost that game, I was really disappointed. I contemplated my fandom a little bit, like why I invest so much emotionally. That was a hard one. That was a hard one to take. That was but, a pretty big um, letdown, so, which is surprising considering that you're right. Like we had Adam Gase and what were we thinking, Michael? I don't know. We got to go back and listen to some of those podcasts to see exactly what we were thinking. Our, our first podcasts were in anticipation of 2019. So maybe we should just scrub those from the record. Exactly. Uh, I think, I think for me, I mean, 2016 against the Bengals, we were pretty right. excited about, um, you know, obviously that was a team in 2015 that many felt should have made the playoffs. I think the most anticipating, into, uh, most I've ever anticipated the season opener was either 2010 or 2011, but those are just because those were really good teams um, and, you know, prime time type of games. But this one, I think it has, yeah, it has a lot of, uh, of meaning. I mean, even if the jets only win five games this year, it just feels like, if, man, if they can just win week one against Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson, it'll just set a nice tone. Even if this is maybe more of a rebuilding season, uh, season than somewhere anticipating, it just feels like they really need to make sure that at least look competitive. I mean, if they get blown out week one, I just can't think of a more depressing start to the season. But 
We will have our official season preview podcast coming out on Thursday. We'll go into the matchup. We'll really try to analyze the entire thing. We'll be doing Thursdays will be our throughout the season outside of, uh, I think, week nine when they play the Colts, which I guess we'll do that on Wednesday. We'll be our season or our game preview pods. And then Mondays will be reacting and talking about the storylines and whatnot. Today, Michael, we have a mailbag. It's our Jets 2021 season kickoff mailbag. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. We put out the, the tweet a little late. Um, you can follow us at CYJ Pod, by the way. Follow me, I guess I should say. Michael has no, no say in the account. But we do have a list of questions here, Michael, pertaining to the 2021 season. Uh, so let's just hop right into it. From at Tim Ring Jr., who do you think will have the best rookie debut? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he's talking uh, game and not season. Um, this Sunday, Michael, I mean, look, we haven't seen two of the rookies. Are, I mean, outside of Zach Wilson, the two most anticipated rookies and Elijah Moore and Elijah Vera Tucker didn't play at all throughout the entire preseason. So this is going to be the first time we get to see them in uniform. Um, Michael Carter obviously should have a role in this offense, although it seems like right now, at least Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman are going to, you know, be carrying the load there. Obviously Zach Wilson, we don't have to touch much on that. The two rookie linebackers seem to be starting and then we'll see who starts at, at slot corner, but Michael Carter, the second could be slotting there. Uh, starting there. And I guess you could throw in uh, Matt Amendola as well as a rookie. So out of those, who do you think will have the best rookie debut on Sunday? I'm going to go a little bit outside of the box. I'm going to go with Michael Carter the second. I okay. think he's going to have, and, and we don't know yet for sure if he's going to start or if it's going to be Javelin Guidry, but um, I'll go out on a limb and say he does start and that he plays well covering in the slot. Um, I feel like Carolina's offense is mostly predicated through their two outside wide receivers with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Also McCaffrey coming out of the backfield, Dan Arnold, the tight end will probably be involved, but in the slot, they don't necessarily have a guy. They've Terrace Marshall who they just drafted. Who isn't, um, you know, we'll see what his role is going to be, how involved he'll be. Uh, they, I don't really see them having a dangerous pure slot guy to start out. And I think that could be, can give a good opportunity for the jet slot corner, which could be Carter second to have a, an opportunity to start his career off on the right note. And I think Carter second had a great preseason was not, was just very consistent in coverage and didn't give up much of anything. So I'm going to go with him, but there are a number of good options. Right. I, I differ. I guess I left out. We don't necessarily know who will be starting, um, you know, opposite Bryce Hall at that cornerback two spot um, with, with bless Austin being released. So potential there's potential there for maybe Jason Pinnock or, or Brandon Eccles to, to have a, uh, a good debut and look against Sam Darnold. Maybe that's not a bad bet. I like the idea of going towards the secondary because I think this is going to be more of a defensive matchup, but I will say, I, first of all, I think, I think Zach Wilson will have a good debut, but this is who's going to have the best rookie debut. And I think Mike Carter, the second is a, a great answer. I'm going to take it a different, uh, a different way. I'm going to go with Elijah Vera Tucker. I think he's going to have a nice debut as the Jets starting left guard. I think him and Beckton are going to open up, uh, specifically in the running game. I think the Jets are going to have a nice uh, day on the ground. And I think it's going to be, you know, we'll get more into this on Thursday, but I do think it's going to be more of a defensive battle, even though it's the quarterbacks and that's what everybody's anticipating. Zach Wilson versus Sam Darnold. I feel like it's going to be who can play defense and who can run the football. Uh, and so I think Elijah Vera Tucker is going to have a nice day keeping, keeping Zach Wilson clean. Um, from at home Yogi dad, which under the radar player will step up and become an impact player. One on offense, one on defense. We've kind of already come out and said, I guess both of us, maybe we give somebody else, but we kind of gave our John Franklin Myers underrated um, player who will become an impact player. And, and we named that Bryce Huff. 
this was maybe a overreaction to one preseason game, but I still stand by that answer. I do think Bryce Huff is going to have a nice season. So let's strike Bryce Huff on the record, unless you don't think there's anybody else on defense, but Michael one on offense, one on defense, who's somebody who nobody's talking about that you think could make a big impact. I think defensively, I'm going to go with a competitor of Bryce Huff's. I'm going to go with Tim Ward, um, who they recently picked up after being released by the chiefs. He has a, pretty interesting resume for a guy who hasn't played that much he only played one game last year the only regular season game of his career he had a sack in that game and four pressures total um and then this this preseason he played three games and he had three sacks which was tied for second in the preseason so that's four sacks in four games that he's played and he's he definitely has some upside as a pass rusher so um i think we're looking at really under the radar guys because he's probably you look at the 53-man roster, probably player number 53, maybe Daniel Brown. Maybe he's head of Daniel Brown. Maybe he's head of Quincy Williams. But he's down there. Um, so I think he is a very, very much a fringe guy in this roster, um, but one who has a lot of upside uh, as a pass rusher on the edge. I think, you know, the key word in this question is impact player because there's some guys who are under the radar that I think will – will end up being maybe developing into good players or have good seasons based off their, their expectations, but impact player. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, John Franklin Myers is rare to go from somebody who's not talked about at all to being consistently above, um, you know, way above average towards the top of the league and PFF grades and performance, I guess I'm tempted um, by, by somebody here, Michael, I don't know if I want to say they're going to be an impact player, but I, I really like Ashton Davis. I've kind of changed my tune on him a little bit. And obviously he's battled injuries and we'll see exactly when he returns. He's not going to start the beginning of the season. So we'll see what week he even starts practicing, but I, I do like his fit in this defense. I love the versatility he brings. Obviously the speed he brings is a great fit in this all gas, no break defense. And although, you know, he obviously had some rookie lumps more so in coverage. I think the Patriots game, when he played more strong safety, you saw that explosiveness he has. And, you know, if you're going to look at his college scouting report, this is a guy who should have, who should develop into a good free safety. He was drafted large part due to his coverage ability. And I think he's a great fit in this defense. And he's a potential guy that, you know, that could be replacing Marcus may just with that whole contract situation. So maybe that's the optimist in me. I, I don't know if I'm ready to say impact player, but I think he's going to have a good season. I think he's going to have a season where it's like at worst, he's going to be a contributor on special teams and a good third safety at best. I could see him, you know, uh, passing LaMarcus Joyner or, you know, God forbid Marcus Mayer or LaMarcus Joyner goes down him sliding in. Uh, I just, I think Ashton Davis is a guy that, you know, isn't getting much buzz at all just because of the injury and kind of a so-so rookie season, but I, I do like him. And, you know, he switched his number to 21. So now automatically he just looks a lot better than in, in 32. Is there anybody on offense, Michael, that you think is worthy of, of this designation? Yeah, it's, it's all harder to find one on offense, I feel like. Because on defense, they have a lot of positions where they're deep with young guys who are all going to have good chances to get plenty of playing time and then make an impact as starters. Whereas on offense, it kind of feels like we know who the main guys are going to be for the most part. Um, I guess this is a hard one. I'm really, the only good option would be if you're a LaMichael P. Ryan fan, but I'm not much of a LaMichael P. Ryan fan. I think he improved a little bit this offseason or in the preseason with his with his vision and decision making. 
uh, as a ball carrier, but not significantly and still wasn't too explosive. Did a good job in clock-eating situations, just picking up three yards, four yards um, to eat the clock at the end of, a, uh, I believe, the Giants game. Um, but not a lot to be excited about. I guess maybe you could look to the receiver position and talk about maybe Braxton Berrios or Jeff Smith. Um, but right. they're, they're not, if they were going to make an impact, it would only be if someone got injured. They're not going to move up the death chart for any other reason. So it is kind of hard to find one on offense. Yeah, I don't think, I, like, as I said, like, I think the biggest key is that the designation of impact player, you know, and I just don't feel like it's even a stretch to, in my eyes, to go um, with, with Ashton Davis. But I think with, I, yeah, I agree. I don't really think there's anybody on offense that you can really give the designated impact player. I think if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be on defense. Um, it's like, you're going to stretch and go with Ryan Griffin or somebody like that. I'm, uh, you know what? Okay. I have one that is feasible because I do think they will make a big impact, but it's like, they have been talked about quite a bit this off season, but Keelan Cole, I do think Keelan Cole is in for um, in store for a, a nice season. I think he's a great fitness offense. Uh, I think, you know, he, he was healthy throughout training camp. I think he'd established some nice chemistry with Zach Wilson. You know, the question is, is how much is he going to play with Elijah Moore returning and Jameson Crowder still on the team? But I think Keelan Cole finds his way um, to a, to a pretty nice season. I just think that the term impact player shouldn't be thrown around too much. I think he's going to have a good season and he's going to have a season. um, You know, he's going to, he will deserve more uh, discussion about him as a player than he's getting right now. Um, from at Shane Carter TX, who will be the leading receiver on the team, catches yards, touchdowns? Well, Michael, if it's based off preseason, it has to be Corey Davis, right? But if it's based off training camp, it sounds like it'd be Elijah Moore. Uh, I guess if it's based off last season, it'd be Jamison Crowder. So there's a few options here. Who are you leaning towards? I think this is a hard one because I, I think, like you said, like after training camp, everyone was on the Elijah Moore train. He was going to be the number one guy um then more gets hurt you don't get a chance to see him make plays in the preseason and do you know tangible things on tape and on video for you to actually get excited about whereas Corey Davis was doing that for three games so I feel like we kind of not that Davis doesn't deserve the hype that he's getting but I feel like we kind of got a little bit not down on Elijah Moore but kind of forgot about him a little bit and then maybe overestimated Davis a little bit just in terms of the impact these two guys will have uh, on offense I feel like they are both going to be the focal points I looked at what the the Titans offense did last season with Corey Davis and another offense that's sort of in the same coaching tree um, but in terms of personnel they did they ran things very similarly to what the Jets did this preseason um, very low amount of 11 personnel relatively um, under 40 percent um, but a lot of 12 and 21 personnel so they a lot of the time, other than third downs, had only two receivers on the field, A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. And those two guys ate up the vast majority of the targets. And I think the Jets are going to be similar because they ran their personnel in a similar way this preseason, a lot of 12 and 21. So a lot of two receiver sets. And Elijah Moore wasn't out there to give us an example of what they could do um, because instead of him next to Corey Davis, they were just rotating different guys in. But I think in the regular season, Davis and Moore are going to kind of do what Davis and AJ Brown did with Tennessee last season and be the two receivers that get the majority of the snaps and dominate the passing game, especially because this Jets team doesn't have a tight end. That's going to be a focal point of the offense. 
um, and also doesn't necessarily have a running back that's going to be a huge focal point in the passing game. So I think both guys will be very involved. I think Davis will be the leader in touchdowns and yards. I think Moore will be the leader in receptions. I'm going to take Davis for all three. And I think he's yeah, just, that's fair. I think he's going to play pretty much every single snap on offense if he's healthy um, because he's such a good blocker. Because when they go to 12 personnel, if they, you know, if they go to 13 personnel, like they, they will leave Corey Davis on the field where it's like, I think Elijah Moore will get subbed out for Keelan Cole and for Jamison Crowder at times. I think Elijah Moore is going to be second in snaps. And so I think he's going to have a great season. But obviously the chemistry is already there with Zach Wilson. And I, you know, I just think he's going to be force fed the ball a lot. Um, the only one that I was maybe thinking, I think that, you know, Elijah Moore is going to have more of the explosive big yardage plays, but I think Corey Davis is going to be kind of the engine of this off. I mean, obviously running is going to be the engine of the offense, but of the passing game, I think Corey Davis is going to be the guy that Zach Wilson looks for on third downs when he's just trying to get, you know, an intermediate route. I think he's just the guy he's going to be constantly throwing to a lot. And then when he wants to break something deep, and when they want to do something, you know, fancy with end arounds or receiver screens or something, that's when Elijah Moore comes in. But uh, I think I think Corey Davis is in store for for a big season if he can stay healthy. But speaking of Elijah Moore from at Verge 001, how much offensive percentage of snaps will Elijah Moore get? And then how many positions, you know, Z, X, and slot? It sounds like, and look, we didn't get to see it in preseason at all, but it sounds like the Jets are obviously not just going to leave Elijah Moore as a slot receiver, which is a lot, which is what a lot of people thought, at least as a rookie. Um, but, you know, he definitely got a lot of run in training camp at X, at Z, and of course at slot as well. Where do you see him um, playing out of those three the most? And how, yeah, what type of, of usage do you think Elijah Moore will get overall in terms of the total offensive snaps? Yeah, I, I think we'll definitely see a lot of him all over the field, even though he's a smaller guy you look at how he played at Ole Miss, he wasn't necessarily used just like a pure slot receiver. And he did get a lot of slot snaps and get most of his production out of the slot. But when he took on other roles, he was able to thrive in, in those positions when he was on the line facing press coverage, when he was used in motion, if he was, you know, just straight up running out of the slot, he was able to do everything. And I feel like based out of based on what we heard out of training camp and even the few videos we've seen of him, He's proven the same thing that he's been able to do, uh, handle a variety of different roles despite his lack of size. So I think we are going to see him do quite a few things. Obviously, he'll be put in motion a lot, um, and that's a big part of why he's brought here. But I think we'll see him, you know, lining up on the line of scrimmage at times on the outside, probably as that Z receiver, um, or while Corey Davis is mainly the X receiver. But um, it seemed yeah. like that might have been flip flop though. A lot of times, that at least at the beginning part of training camp, it seems like Davis was playing a lot of Z and and Moore is playing a lot of X. Do you think that's just you know just the style of offense, or do you do you think they were just playing around and giving more um you know reps at different positions just to get him used to it? Yeah, I think it definitely could be a little bit of both of that. It could be an indication of what happens, and it could be you know them just trying out different things but i think just the fact that he's playing x receiver at all because you know typically your x receiver you know a guy who's away from the tight end has a side to the field all to himself is you know your go-to big body guy like your calvin johnson andre johnson type of guy so but it's not in kansas city right and and that's just an example of how good elijah moore is because you have a guy like tyree kill who 
even though he's not that type of guy physically, he's just so fast, so good at separating that you could still play that role even without size. So I think Elijah Moore has that same ability. Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh was able to do that. Who I think is a closer comparison because Moore is a great athlete. He's very fast, but it's more so his short area quickness and his separation and his ball skills and his ability to use his hands to create separation on routes. So um, I, I think definitely he could play quite a bit of X receiver too, but I, I think we'll see good interchangeability between both of those guys. Cause they could both handle um, both of those roles because also Davis as a Z receiver make, you know, playing on the same side as a tight end makes sense as well because he's a good run blocker. So to have him on the play side of a run is very useful because of his impact. So that actually is another reason that maybe more will be the primary X guy, but I think there'll be a lot of interchangeability. And another thing about more playing X receiver, you know, if he's, you know, playing X receiver on the line of scrimmage, then he can't go in motion. And that kind of takes away, you know, that aspect of his game. So I think we'll see uh, both guys do a lot of both roles. Yeah. That, that motion part is, is definitely really crucial. Here's my question to you. Who do you think is the better player slash who will have the bigger season between Keelan Cole and Jameson Crowder? Because that to me, while you think of your answer is going to determine the percentage of Elijah Moore's uh, snaps that are come from the slot. Because I think when he was first drafted, people thought that he was going to be, you know, trick plays and they'll give him reps. They'll split it between him and Crowder. But now it's like, okay, if he can play on the outside and they're going to want to get him on the field as much as possible. um, He's, I think he will be the Jets number two receiver, but when they go 11 personnel, it's like, would you rather play him outside and have Jamison Crowder on the field and slot, or do you put Elijah Moore in the slot, keep James Crowder off the field, and put Keelan Cole on the outside, or I guess Denzel Mims? It seems like Cole's ahead of Mims, though, so that's why we use him. So who do you think is the better player, better fit in the offense, going to you know, in store for a better season? Who do you think they will, will side with when they do go to 11 personnel? I, I think Crowder is the better player just because he's established himself in his role as a I think legitimate top 10 slot receiver probably in the bottom part of that um that's the level that he's produced over the past couple seasons I think his separation in the short area game is really good on jerk routes and whip routes just those underneath little short area routes I think he's proven himself to be really good on those uh and Keelan Cole definitely has his share of skills as well I think he's a good deep threat a guy who can make contested catches over the middle um and is a good blocker as well um i think crowder is the better player overall and i it'll be interesting because keelan cole i think brings great interchangeability as a backup he can play both outside and in the slot he's shown it throughout his career he's played both roles pretty much evenly whereas crowder is you know 100 percent a slot guy um but i i think crowder is going to be that main guy because like i said at least how i see it i feel like Davis and Moore are going to be your primary starters playing the majority of the game um, as the only two receivers on the field. And then third down, they go to 11 personnel because that's how they approach it in the, in the preseason, at least. And we'll see if that's maintained, but it was first and second down, but vast majority 11 or 12 personnel or 21 personnel. So always having an extra tight end or Wesco, a fullback. And then third down, it was almost always 11 personnel passing the ball. So I think that, you know, if Moore and Davis play the roles that we just talked about them playing, interchanging between X and Z, then I think Crowder is the guy you want on third down as that third receiver coming in to play the slot in between those guys. Um, but then on, in, 
you could also go with Keelan Cole in those situations because Cole can play on the outside. Moore is capable of playing in the slot, can do more things in terms of motion and stuff. So I, I would lean towards Crowder, but I do think we'll see a good amount of both those guys on third down. And Denzel Mims, too, if you're in the red zone, if you're facing a third and third or fourth down and short situation and you want another big body out there, um, just the interchangeability and versatility between these guys gives them a lot of different options. Yeah, I think the one thing that's certain is that they are going to try to have Elijah Moore on the field as much as possible. And I think I think Jamison Crowder is the better player. I think on the sur- I think the Jets love Keelan Cole. I mean, that's just, you know, what I'm surmising from what I've read. It seems like the Jets, you know, I think it was Connor Hughes reporting that the Jets tried to trade for Keelan Cole the last two off seasons and they finally got him in the building and he's a, such a good fit that there are there have been some questions about Jamison Crowder's fit mostly just because he's a slot receiver and because like you said, they're in 12 personnel so much, but when they do go to 11, Jameson Crowder is one of the best slot receivers out there. Um, and I don't think he's a bad fit in this offense. Let's get that out there. I mean, he's a good, he's good after the catch. He has good route running and he's, he's a nice reliable target for a rookie receiver a rookie quarterback rather. So I think you're right. I think it's going to be more Crowder, but it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world if they'd rather have more operate on the slot on third downs and get Keelan Cole out there. Um, and like you said, Denzel Mims, hopefully as well. Hopefully by the end of the season, we can get more of that, the the trio that we thought we were going to be getting, which was Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore. Um, but it sounds like that might not be the case as much at the beginning of the season, at least. Um, taking a look at the running back position from at, at Betsy 97 who do you think gets the majority of the carries on Sunday? And then he put in parentheses, please be Ty Johnson. Well, Max, I completely agree with you, considering I just drafted Ty Johnson in the JetX fantasy league i also drafted Corey davis so two jets on my team which has got to be the most in a long time um but ty johnson i have him starting at flex michael do you think that's a good idea or do you think that the jets are going to be uh rolling with somebody else for the majority of carries i do think early in the season ty johnson is going to be the number one guy in terms of carries um as the season goes on could lean more towards michael carter but to start out i think it's definitely going to be him and in the run game i feel like i think coleman is going to be part of the trio in terms of snaps and he'll lead them in targets but in terms of carries in the run game I don't know if Coleman is going to play a huge role Um, I feel like Johnson and Carter are the main running backs who will have a chance to lead the run game because Coleman on the ground over the past few seasons and Joe Blewett broke it down really good on film at Jets X Factor but his performance in the run game isn't too impressive especially the last two seasons he's with the Niners Um, in terms of vision and change of direction quickness he's a home run hitter with long speed but his overall consistency as a rusher isn't great so for that reason I think he's a guy who you'll put in situationally hopefully to hit some home runs every now and then but I don't think he'll ever be a candidate to lead them in carries in a game it it could happen I'm I'm just leaning away from it Um, so I think Johnson is the early candidate and then as Carter kind of um, proves what he's capable of if he can handle a big workload he could become the guy as the season goes on yeah i i agree with that i i think that ty johnson is such a good fit for this offense um and clearly saw from preseason that he is going to get the rock a ton i agree i think tevin coleman is going to get faded out as the season goes on maybe in favor of more reps for michael carter i mean what coleman brings you is is his skills as a receiver so he's going to be you know on the field on third down, but first and second down, I think they're going to see a large um, portion of, uh, of Ty Johnson. I think Michael Carter will get some snaps, but if you're asking who's going to lead 
you know, the, the group and snaps, I think it's going to be pretty easily Ty Johnson. And I think we'll have a good game. Like I said earlier, I do think that the Jets advantage on the offensive side of the ball in this game is going to be running the football. Um, although I think Zach Wilson will have a good uh, debut that we'll be happy about. I think it's going to be important for the Jets to stick to what they were doing in the preseason, run the ball, give Zach some easy throws. Don't put it too much on him. Um, you know, I think you, you, you give him more as, as the season goes on. And look, I don't, I don't mean just play him on that 2009 Mark Sanchez red light, green light system, but I think the Jets use the run game, put him in, you know, third and short, third and four, um, give him easy completions. And I think a large part of that is going to be running the football. And I think that guy's going to be Ty Johnson from at got the, but the bungee, the bungee. I don't know. Got, got H bungee. I don't know. Sorry. Coffee and jets. Um, who do you think gets the most picks this year on our defense? How many of those come next week against Sam side note? I did tweet out at like one thirty-five today. Um, exactly one week from now, CJ Mosey will be uh, returning a Sam Darnold intercession for a touchdown or something like that. And my entire mentions was just flooded by Panthers fans. So there's a bit of a rivalry heading into this game. I, I do think the jets pick off Sam Darnold on Sunday, as far as total interceptions. I mean, I think that this defense is going to be, Similar to Robert Sala's um, Niner defense last year, you know, it was a unit that suffered a lot of injuries. And I think, you know, they, I mean, they still finished in a relatively good spot. I think they definitely outperformed what people would thought, um, you know, looking at the personnel they had. And that unit had, I think it was 14 interceptions, if I'm correct. 12 picks. 12, 12 picks. Sorry, they were ranked 14th in interceptions. That's why you're going to read the fine print. 12 picks. I think that's, uh, I think that's a safe area. What about you, Michael? I mean, yeah, how many they get per season and how many come on Sunday? Yeah, I don't I don't think there'll be a huge interception defense, you know, which I think everyone expects with the issues they have in the secondary. And also your pass rush just took a big hit with Carl Lawson going out. Um, but I also don't think there'll be a terrible interception or takeaway defense because they will still have a great interior pass rush. Um, and I think that they do have guys with ball skills in the back end, which just doesn't necessarily mean that they'll play well overall, but, you know, in terms of getting interceptions, they have some guys who can make plays. Um, I actually think this might be bold, but I think CJ Mosley will, will lead them in picks this year. I, think I agree that he, this is a defense that is conducive to the linebackers making plays and coverage on uh, Mosley slimmed down. he, didn't have the most amazing preseason, if we're being honest, but he did early in the Giants game show flashes that mobility and coverage in the green and white scrimmage and the joint practices. He was constantly making deflections and plays on the ball. So I think he's going to have a big year. He did have a four interception season early in his Ravens career, and generally he's gotten one or two per year. So and sometimes two is all you need to lead a team. It's usually two or three unless you have a really good player. Um, but I think he's going to get three or four this year to lead the team. You know, I think we had this discussion on the pod maybe two months ago or something. And I think I said, Marcus may, and you don't want to read too much into preseason, but yeah, after seeing CJ Mosley slim down and you know, the type of role that he's going to have to take, especially with Gerard Davis going down and Carl Lawson going down. I think, yeah, I think three or four interceptions for Mosley in, especially in this system is not, wouldn't be out of the blue. And I think you're right. It just because the jets are so inexperienced in the secondary um, and because may is going to be playing a little closer to the line of scrimmage than maybe we thought a few months ago. Uh, yeah. I think Mosley's a, a fair bet as far as Sunday against Sam. I think Darnold throws 
I'm trying not to be. I think Darnold throws at least. Well, I'm going to go two interceptions for Darnold, and I do think one of them is to C.J. Mosley. Um, I think Zach Wilson probably also throws one, um, but I think Sam Darnold will throw uh, two interceptions. I, I'm so curious to see how he looks um, in, in Carolina because I will. We said this in the podcast two weeks ago, but it's like the biggest difference we've I've seen from Zach Wilson and Sam is just how calm they look. I mean, even Sam right now in that preseason game for Carolina, you just see him in the pocket. And it looks like he's things are going on in his head at like a thousand miles per, per hour. And I'm just so curious to see him in that situation with way more weapons. And, you know, it, it is a revenge game for him. So maybe he's playing, you know, he, he has all the reason in the world to, to really want to go out there and put together one of the best games of his career. And I don't know. I, I, I'm, very curious to see how he performs, but I do think he ends up throwing two interceptions. Uh, I'm, I'm still feeling pretty optimistic, but you know, I think that's natural for most Jets fans. I'll say this. We're going to learn a lot about this team on Sunday, um, but I do think they, they find a way to pick off Sam uh, at least once or twice from at McAnally, John JD obviously puts a lot of weight on leadership when he drafts and signs players. Do you think he needs to start putting more weight on injury history at this point? It doesn't seem, it seems like he doesn't, that doesn't weigh heavily in his selection process. I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think he's necessarily has a knack for taking and, and signing injury prone guys. I don't, I don't know about you, Michael, but um, I think, uh, look, I love what Joe Douglas has done. I will say this. I, I've, and I don't want to jinx anything. And obviously the Carl Lawson injury is a bummer and the jets did lose, you know, Elijah Moore had the, the quad and, and Elijah Vera Tucker had the peck. But I think that you did see less soft tissue injuries, less, at least in training camp, uh, we'll see how the season goes, but less hamstrings, groins, things of that nature that seem to be, you know, maybe the results of the deep dive that Joe Douglas and this Jets organization and, and the staff, the, the medical staff that Robert Salas installed, you know, it, it sounds like if you listen to interviews that they've, they've tried to put together a specific plan for each player. And I think by and large, I, I felt like it was actually a pretty, even though the Jets lost their best player, I felt like it was a fairly healthy training camp from that perspective. You know, uh, no super long-term injuries outside of Carl Lawson and the ones that were, it didn't really seem like there's much you can do about it. It seems like more just contact injuries. Um, I don't know about you, Michael, but I don't really feel like JD really, you know, has a knack for taking injured guys, maybe in the draft selection process. I mean, look, the best ability is availability in a way, but um, I think he's, he's balanced that well because some of those guys that that is worth, the, especially in the draft, like that is why some good players will fall. And I, I think you, in the, when the draft is such a gamble and a crapshoot, I do think it is kind of worth, you know, gambling on a really talented player that falls to the third because of his injury history and hoping that in your system and, um, you know, whether or not how many games he plays, he's able to make an impact and you're able to get a good player. So what are your thoughts on, on that question? And, uh, and I guess kind of the training camp we've seen of, from the injury perspective. Yeah, I, I don't think that it, um, how Douglas values injuries has really been a problem so far. I think it could be um, a legitimate problem if you're a team that's really willing to take a chance on injured guys. Like, you know, I look because Douglas has taken some guys with injury questions like Hams and Azraldine this year. Not that, you know, he's gotten hurt yet, but just as an example, but Bryce Hall, Ashton Davis, so there are a few examples. But I think more so it would be problematic if you took a lot of chances on like like when Jalen Smith got taken by the Cowboys, um, Miles Jack by the Jaguars, those huge falls guys who have you know really big injury questions that kind of make them fall very far down the draft inexplicably. Well, not inexplicably, just because those injuries are so serious. If you do that a little bit too much, that could be problematic because those are big risks. 
But I think some of the selections that he's made were really good values because guys did slip because of injuries, like those three guys I mentioned, Davis, Paul, Nastoline, I think are great talent values because of their injuries. Um, so I don't think it's a huge problem. And I don't even, I, I agree with what you said. I don't think injuries have been a huge problem for this team this offseason, obviously outside of Carl Lawson. And Lawson is another guy who did have pretty big injury questions. That was one of the biggest concerns about him coming in. Um, but, you know, CJ Mosley a couple of years ago came in with durability was one of his biggest positives. He missed very few games and he plays two games with the Jets in two years. So injuries are hard to predict. I think unless you're taking a lot of risks on very questionable guys from an injury perspective, it's uh, I think Douglas has done a good job balancing. Okay. These guys have a little bit more injury risk, but they're also talented enough to outweigh that with his draft picks, with his free agent signing. So I don't think it's, it's a huge problem. And I, I agree with what you said that they've, they've stayed fairly healthy this off season. Yeah, I think it's one of the, yeah, it's just, you have to be able to balance it and it's worth the, some players it's worth the risk. And it's like, if you're ever going to, and I'm not saying the Jets are at this point um, this season, but maybe they will be a few seasons from now. If you're looking forward to having a Super Bowl type season, you have to have pretty great injury luck. I mean, every team has so many injuries every year and obviously there are exceptions. I mean, obviously the, the Eagles losing uh, Carson Wentz and Nick Foles taking to the Super Bowl, but there are a lot of teams, a lot of really good, talented teams, well-coached teams, teams that should contend for a title, suffer a few injuries, and that just derails their whole season. So it's a part of the game. And those guys, like you said with C.J. Mosley, could be completely durable before that. Just freak accidents happen. I mean, Dak Prescott didn't miss a game, then he snapped his ankle, and now he's had some injuries uh, in training camp, you know, and he, he's trying to battle back onto the field. So it's just – I think you balance it, but – you, I think you, you gamble on getting talent and hoping that maybe that one perfect season comes together. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the, the new training staff, whatever Robert Saul has done is, you know, and the, the, the way he practices, it just seems very smart. And the Jets are always going to lose players. And every team is going to lose players to injuries. But I just kind of feel like uh, I don't think this is an issue yet for the Jets. I think he's done a good job of, of balancing it out. But we'll see how we feel uh, in a few weeks. Um, from at New York underscore Nick, how much RPO rollout should we expect if the O-line is abysmal? The, the O-line is, outside of Zach Wilson's debut, is maybe the, the most intriguing thing to me because it seems like they haven't had a great training camp, but they had a great preseason. The starting unit, especially with Elijah Vera Tucker, I, I actually like. I, I think this is a the, the best O-line the Jets have had, at least on paper, in a long time. But it's like, you know, Becton was having a rough summer. Vera Tucker wasn't out there. Um, there's the right tackle competition going and, you know, uh, Connor McGovern needs to prove himself. Greg Van Roten seems more of like a stopgap. Um, so it's possible that this offensive line is not going to be good, or is at least at the beginning of the season going to go through some, some rough patches um, to answer your question. I think, I think a lot of Zach Wilson throws are going to be rollouts. I think they'll give him some RPOs, some of the stuff that he did at BYU, but I think you're going to see him run at pro NFL offense. I, I think the offense you saw him run um, in the preseason is not, too dissimilar to the offense they're going to run in the regular season. I don't, I, obviously there's some vanilla schemes and whatever, and you're, you're going to see them whip different stuff out, especially with Elijah Moore out there. But I think what you saw in the preseason is pretty much what you're going to get in the regular season. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I agree. I, I actually do think that the offense they showed is um, pretty much what they're going to run in the regular season. Obviously there will be more specific concepts that they pull out that they didn't show in the preseason. And we only saw six drives, so we saw like half a game. So they didn't 
obviously that's not a full game plan, even one game game plan that we saw from them. So, but in terms of the way that they utilize personnel, the types of throws they dialed up, um, where they set him up, whether it was with rollouts, bootlegs, or five-step drop, three-step drop, I, the way they distributed all those things, I think is a pretty good indication of what they're going to do in the regular season. So, uh, so yeah, I think we'll definitely see more RPO and rollouts than we've seen from Jets offenses in recent years, for sure, significantly more. But I think we'll also still see plenty of traditional drop back passing. Like we did see Zach Wilson do quite a bit, quite a bit of in the preseason. So uh, I think it'll be a healthy mix of those things. Yeah, I think as far as this offense goes, I just feel like the biggest difference you're going to see is when Elijah Moore is out there. I think he is going to change this offense a lot. And I think you're going to see, one of the things that Kyle Shanahan is the best at in the entire NFL and Sean McVay's up there as well is, you know, showing a concept and then building off it throughout the entire game. You didn't really get to see too much of that in preseason. You got it to a, a certain extent, but I think that Kyle Shanahan was such a good game planner, but he was so good at those adjustments, those in-game, you know, manipulation. And I think that's something that Adam Gase really struggled with is a lot of times you could see his first drive actually might work out pretty well in the Jets they scored a crazy amount of opening drive touchdowns, which honestly the Jets struggled with for a long time. Um, but it was just after that, it's like once the defense adjusts, he had nothing. There was no, they didn't really build off of any of those concepts. And I think that's going to be the biggest difference in this offense. Um, but- and there actually, there actually was one really good example of LaFleur building off of uh, a concept in the Packers game where uh, on Tyler Cross second touchdown, they ran pretty much, they threw out pretty much the exact same look, the same exact run motion as they ran the ball to play before that. And they came out on the Croft touchdown with pretty much the same exact alignment and formation. And they ran a play fake out of it, showed the same exact run, and they got Tyler Croft open for that touchdown. So we did kind of see already some glimpses of him being able to do that. All right, two more, actually three more. From at NY Jets Optimist, how can Sala and Ulbrich use scheme to help their young defense be successful against Carolina's many weapons? Well, the key to this defense is to get pressure on the quarterback, and generally it's done by just rushing forward, dropping everybody into coverage, and you know if those four can get pressure when you're dropping seven guys into coverage, uh, it's a good numbers game. And I think Robert Sala has done a good job of adapting his, his defense over time and making it a little less vanilla. He's moved a lot away from the cover three Seattle days, and he's moved more towards a wide nine front, putting a lot of pressures on the linebackers, you know, having the safeties rotate pre and post snap. But, you know, you saw it last year is when Joey or when Nick Bosa went down and the 49ers suffered a rash of injuries. He blitzed a lot more. He adjusted. He knew that in order to win, he's going to have to get pressure on the quarterback. And so he, he evolved his defense. And I think opening up this game, I think the Jets are going to try to help out their young secondary by playing a lot of coverage and trusting their four guys. But if the Jets are getting picked apart, you know, dinked and dunked by Sam Darnold, one of the things that Jets fans should know is Sam Darnold does not play well under pressure. He gets those happy feet. And I think I think the first quarter they're going to come out, try to trust their front four against this Carolina offensive line, which, you know, you and I, Michael, don't really like that much. I think the Jets, especially with Carl Lawson, should have had the advantage. But the Jets still have Quinn and Williams, John Franklin Myers, Sheldon Rankins, um, and I guess now Shaq Lawson. They still have a good defensive line. So I think they're going to try to help their young guys out by playing a lot of coverage. But if they start to get dinked and dunked, send the house at Sam Darnold. I mean, do do what we saw defensive coordinators do week in and week out is – 
It's third down, zero blitz him because he just panics. I mean, we'll see if it's different in a different scheme with better weapons. Uh, the one thing that I do worry about with this defense is I think they're going to give up a lot of yards. I think they're going to be a bad run defense, um, especially with the young linebackers. So with Christian McCaffrey, I mean, Darnold might not have to do that much. They might just be able to ride Christian McCaffrey. I think the one thing that's going to make this defense, the difference between it being average and bad is going to be their red zone defense and their short yardage defense, which I actually am pretty optimistic about in the sense that I do think the Jets are going to be a, a very bend but don't break defense, which is they're going to give up some long drives. They're going to give up some big plays, but generally they should be fairly good when the, the field shrinks. Um, I, I like what Robert Sala's defense does. It's just hard to score against. Uh, Michael, how do you think uh, Sala and Ulbrich can can help out the young players this Sunday? Yeah, I, I think the main goal is going to be aiding the weakest part of your defense, which is that young secondary and including the linebackers, where you're going to have a, a, quite a few rookies playing big, important roles, especially in coverage. And I think the best way to help them out is if your pass rush is good enough to win by itself with only four guys, then you could have that extra man and, you know, set, have seven guys in coverage. It helps them out a lot. So I think they're going to start out and try to do that against this offensive line that is not good other than Taylor Moten at right tackle. They're the other four guys in their line, including Matt Paradis, who's been a big disappointment or a fairly big disappointment over there uh, since signings for each a couple of years ago. It, it's a weak offensive line, especially at left tackle with Cameron Irving, who's consistently been one of the worst tackles in the league, but is starting for them. And they've had Elfline, who's consistently one of the worst guards in the league, and Jets fans saw it last season. Um, and he's starting for them as well. So it's a weak offensive line. I think the Jets are going to try to see if their pass rush can beat it on its own. But like you said, I think Sal is going to be open to quickly switching it up and becoming aggressive with the blitz if they do start to get beat up with the quick passing game with dinking and dunking uh, or if their pass rush just isn't getting there I think they'll quickly switch it up and try to bring the blitz specifically to linebackers I think because those two guys you know uh, Jamie and Sherwood Hams and Nasrul Dean could be victimized in coverage those could be the guys who are getting beat while their four-man rush um, isn't producing by Christian McCaffrey by Dan Arnold in the middle of the field so I think that they could mitigate that by, you know, instead of asking them to cover, let's have them blitz, you know, cover the A-gaps and just bring the house with your linebackers. So I think they'll start off trying to do uh, the traditional approach of, of the primary goal of what they want to do, create pressure at that four-man rush. Uh, and if that fails, I think they'll be willing to become more blitz heavy. Two more here from at liftoff jets. Let's, we're going to change this one up a little bit because it is pretty similar to one we already answered, but who will be the players we're not talking about now that we will be by the end of the season? We answered a very similar question, Michael, so we're going to change it around. Who is a player in your eyes that people around the league, non-Jets fans, are not talking about, pretty much aren't aware of, think he's a jag, think he's a bum, that by the end of the season he's going to get some some recognition from the NFL, his NFL peers? I'm going to go with John Franklin Myers because I feel like no one around – no one who isn't a Jets fan would be talking about him because they have no reason to. His box score says he has two and a half sacks last year. Uh, he was an undrafted free agent. Nobody knows who he is. But he is uh, has legitimate elite pass rushing talent. He was second, had the second best or third best pressure rate 
among interior D linemen last year. And we'll see if he plays edge full time, if he can maintain that. But he is high end pass rushing talent. And I think he's going to make enough big plays this year to put himself, uh, give himself some more national recognition. I'm going to go with Tyler Croft on this one. Um, you know, obviously with the Herndon release, he is it for the Jets at tight end. And this is such a tight end centric offense. You know, it'll be really fun to see them with, I don't want to say an elite tight end because I don't know who they can add next offseason, but, you know, a good tight end room, um, hopefully next offseason. And I think Croft has a chance to, to be a part of that, preferably maybe as tight end number two. But I think this season you're going to see him put up some big numbers. I think it, the, the big thing for him is can he stay healthy? Because if he can stay healthy, he's a good blocker. He's a reliable receiver. He's a good fit in the scheme. You saw his connection with Zach Wilson in that Green Bay game. I, I think that he's a guy that gets doesn't get any respect. I think that people think he's probably more of a second or third tight end blocking guy. And I think he's going to prove that, look, he can be a starting tight end in this league. He can be a tight end number one. I think preferably in the future, he would be tight end two for the Jets. But I think he's going to get some respect uh, as the Jets starting tight end where it's you know still going to be a, a weakness from a long-term team building perspective and a depth perspective. But I don't think Tyler Croft is going to be viewed as, as a huge weakness for the Jets this season. Uh, and Michael, this, this last one, I guess this is going to be for me because we did not have a podcast on Thursday. It was, we were going to be talking about all the roster cuts and the, the final 53 man roster um, it was a very hectic week. So Michael and I, we kind of pushed it. We just waited until Monday to talk about this, but so this one's going to be for me at Ben W. Blessington on Twitter. Shoot me a follow. Michael, what are your reactions to the Jets final 53? Obviously, the Bless Austin cut and the Herndon trade were the, the biggest news. Um, so I, I obviously want your thoughts on that. But the rest of the roster in general, how do you, you know, how do you do you like how Joe Douglas and Robert Sala cut it down? Uh, it, like we said, there's always some surprising decisions, and they always carry more at certain positions and less at others. But I feel like it was pretty. I think I, it was, you know, I think there were only a few surprises. But outside of that, it was pretty much what we expected. Yeah, I think Austin was most surprising. Um, and from a talent perspective, it's not necessarily surprising because he's just not a good starter. It wasn't last year, um, but it, it definitely was a little bit surprising. I would think that I thought, I think most of us thought they were just going to stick with their most experienced guy, but obviously they weren't impressed with uh, his performance on tape in the preseason and training camp. And they just overall wanted to go as young as possible and, and just move forward towards their own picks. Um while he was a McCagnan guy. Um, but other than that, you know, they really went young with this roster just across the board. Their moves kind of leaned in that direction. And I think that's okay for a rebuilding team. There's going to be growing pains, but it's, you know, that it, the Douglas had a great quote about it. He said, you know, that they're trying not to be a flash in the pan. They're trying to build this uh, long-term and build sustained success that you can maintain for a long time. And um, that, that, that's the goal for every franchise in the league. There are spots where they maybe could have been a little bit better, like Bless Austin, for example. Bless Austin is not a good starting cornerback, but does he have a better chance of being good this year than sixth-round rookies, undrafted rookies like Eccles, Pinnock, Dunn? Yeah, probably he does. But does he have as much long-term upside as those guys? Probably not, considering that you know, he has already put quite a bit of bad tape on his reel, and he is a few more years younger than them, and he was not drafted by this regime to play in this scheme. So I think that was their thought process across the board. They were willing to kind of bite the bullet a little bit and deal with potential struggles, growing pains this season for the sake of 
going young and giving themselves as many opportunities as possible to figure out who their keepers are, who they can go into next season feeling like, okay, this guy's a long-term piece for us. We don't have to worry about that position. We can focus elsewhere instead of, you know, trying to maybe value short-term upgrades, but you go into next season and that position becomes a hole again because, you know, you value getting better now, but you can't figure out anything about your future. And I think that's why the Shaq Boston trade is really good because it kind of checks both boxes. He can help you right now and help them run that scheme, how they want to run it, which helps you evaluate the rest of this defense because you can have that four-man rush you want to have um, and play your style of defense and not have to adjust it and see how everyone plays in that scheme because the edge rush is so important and he helps it right now. But at the same time, he's a guy who is still in his prime, is under contract next year, and can still audition to be a long-term starter for you. So I think that's why he was, uh, even though he trading for him kind of contradicts on the surface that youth movement, um, it does check both boxes because he's under contract next year. But overall, it seems like they're embracing the rebuild, embracing the youth movement. Uh, for better or worse, for this season, it's for better or worse. But long term, I think there will be a lot of positive gains out of taking this approach. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's as much as embracing the rebuild. Like last season, with you know the whole COVID, you saw the, how the Jets didn't really buy in any free agents. I mean, they paid Connor McGovern, but they had a lot of one year stop gaps, and part of that was probably because there was some uncertainty uh, around Adam Gase. I think, I think they're embracing the direction the jets are heading in and they're embracing this regime's picks. And I think you're right. I think they look If bless Austin had a good off season. He would certainly be on this team because he's still a young player. It's not like he's a 29 year old or 28 year old veteran. Um, that is just consistently put out mediocre tape and they just want to give the young guys a run. Bless Austin still qualifies as a young guy and is a guy that you and I were both relatively high on, I guess, after 2019. I mean, yeah. at least we thought yeah. that he could develop into something kind of a very similar situation to Bryce Hall, though I think Hall showed a little bit more. So I think this is an example, like you said, it's like old regime guy had a bad training camp. I think Eccles had a good preseason. I think they liked maybe what they saw from Pinnock. Might as well just play the young guys. I still think this is going to be a competitive team. I, I think a lot of that comes down to coaching. And I think the Jets should have competent coaching for the first time in a while. Are they going to win a crazy amount of games. No, I think, I think they'll probably win seven, which is maybe a little high for some people. I think they'll win seven games. I think they'll be competitive in others. And yeah. They're going to lose some, but then, then they go into next off season with all these picks and the most cap space in the league. And it's, it's, I love what Joe Douglas has done so far, but I, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a rebuild. I think, I, I, although it is, it's just like the term rebuild to me is like Texans are rebuild. They're full on tearing it down. I think the jets are, are very much building. Uh, I think the pass is in the rearview mirror and they're just focusing on building forward. Uh, I mean, can we steal the old McCagnan term, the competitive rebuild? But I, I don't even think it's, a, I get what you're saying. I, the term rebuild to me though, just seems, I don't think this Jets team is as far away as I think maybe some other people. I do think they have a chance to be a competitive playoff team or a, t- a team competing for a playoff team in 2022. You know, look, I, I obviously look through things through some green tinted goggles, but I just love everything that, that they've done since Robert Saul has gotten here. And I like Joe Douglas and I believe in Zach Wilson. So, I mean, if you're a Jets fan, why not have that attitude? Because in six days, they're going to completely obliterate it. So might as well just be happy for the next, for the next week. Right, Michael? Yeah, exactly. I mean, 
we know they're going to lose to the Panthers. Oh, There's come on. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, I thought that's what you were leading me into. I, you know what? I, we'll, we'll get to this on Thursday. I don't think they're going to, I don't know. I, I honestly, it's such a toss up. If Carl Lawson was playing, I feel very good about the Jets chances because I, I don't fear Sam Darnold. And like you said, their left tackle has been consistently awful. Pat Elfline against Quinn and Williams. I mean, I just think Sam Darnold will be under duress the entire time. But with all the injuries the Jets have suffered, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, I'll put it this way. Zach Wilson can win this game for the Jets. Absolutely. Um, but And I think his defense will help him out a bit, little bit. But, look, that's a motivated Sam Darnold. And, you know, I, I don't, it's not like he always rose to the occasion, clearly. Clearly he didn't. But he did have a few good games in him. You know, he was kind of streaky like that. So it's like this is about as motivated as you're going to see him. He's had an entire offseason to prepare. I don't know. I think I think the Jets win. I think my point is is that they're this year. They're uh, you're you're building towards something good, but they're obviously not going to be amazing. But I, I don't know. I still I still the optimist to me still sees them win in week one. But we'll yeah. get we'll get into that Thursday really quickly before we get out of here because you touched on it a little bit. But the Chris Herndon trade. How did you feel about the compensation? Because I think when it was first announced, some people thought he was going to get like a sixth. Did for the Jets to get a fourth back while sending a sixth? Uh, I think that was definitely good value. I mean. You know, it's one of those things where I guess the coaching staff has such a good view on these players day in and day out, not just in training camp, but throughout the season. And clearly Chris Hernan just did not show enough. I think, I think the Jets, I mean, they basically broke even on their investment in a way. I mean, they got three years out of this player. They trade him back for a fourth rounder, which was what he was. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it leaves the Jets very thin at tight end. Let's just put it like that. But I think on the surface, the value they got for a guy who hasn't really been good in three years um, it was very good. Yeah, I think that's good value. And I, I think Sal sort of brought it up. He just said that um, an opportunity came up that Douglas couldn't pass on. And I really do think that is what it was. I don't feel like they were shopping him or even planning to get rid of him. But Irv Smith got hurt. Minnesota wanted a tight end. And they offered up a fourth-round pick for a guy who was one of the worst tight ends in the league last year. And that's a trade that you have to take. Uh, I still think Herndon has some potential to turn it around. We know he has talent. We know he can pass block and is an okay run blocker. And I did like him in the scheme and trading him does, you know, muddy things up at that position a little bit. Um, I do think the position is a little bit weaker without him, even though he struggled last season. Um, but with that being said, the value that they got for him, considering his production last year, uh, and his the injury issues the season before that um, is something you can't pass up on. That's just being a good general manager to take to take trades like that. I think being honest with your talent and understanding its value is an important trait. You could bank on Chris Herndon, and there is a possibility he could turn around and become good. But I think if you're being objective, you know, trading swapping swapping a sixth round pick for a fourth round pick is more valuable than what Herndon brings to the table. I, I think that is fair to say. And then, I mean, I guess they added obviously two guys, to the waiver wire. I it was, what I was about to say is I'm kind of surprised they didn't add another tight end. Um, I thought they might, I still think they could certainly if Kenny Abo impresses on the practice squad and, you know, maybe Dan Brown or Ryan Griffin really struggle. I definitely think that he's a guy that could get promoted, I'm, but I am kind of surprised they didn't add anybody, but they did add two guys. 
your thoughts on both of them, obviously both the defensive side of the football and then Michael will get out of here. Yeah. I talked about Tim Ward earlier, but I think he has really good upside as, I mean, not really good, but relative for a guy you're picking up uh, as part hey, of the Jets man roster. Coach. Two years ago, the last time Douglas made waiver wire clans, it was John Franklin Myers, Braxton Berrios. Um, I guess it was Bennett Jackson was one of them and Corey Vevvick, but two of those four guys are still on the team. So this guy could be a, you know, a contributor. Yeah, it's definitely possible. He's shown a lot in a very short amount of time. Um, Quincy Williams, I'm not too high on um, his overall production in the preseason, the little he's played in the regular season has frankly been really bad. Obviously he's young and doesn't have a ton of tape has dealt with some injuries. Um, but he's been bad in both phases a lot of missed tackles actually the worst missed tackle rate among all linebackers uh, qualified linebackers uh, over the last two seasons Uh, so obviously the talents there was the third round pick uh, but not a lot to go off of with him uh, on the positive side yeah I mean it's cool that he's Quentin Williams's brother Robert Sala's background is in linebacker, same with Jeff Ulbrich. So if, if any coaching staff's going to get something out of him, it could be this one. But I agree. I mean, I think that he's a backup special teamer, fringe roster guy. But Michael, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back on Thursday with our Panthers preview podcast. Very excited about that one. Breaking down every matchup. Going to go really in deep, uh, in depth into it. We're, we're looking forward to doing these all season long. Um, you can follow us at Pod on Twitter. You can... Um, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, clear jets, uh, follow Michael at Michael underscore nanny and myself, Ben W. Blessington, go to jetsxfactor.com for the best place to go for jets content. Michael, that is it. Any last words? Um, don't take my jets Panthers prediction. The, my prediction that the jets are going to lose. Don't write that down because I'm probably going to alternate 10 more times between now and the next game. Uh, and if I do end up going with that, I'll have more specific reasons uh when we talk about it on thursday but I, I think this is a very even matchup it's so uh, it's such it's hard it's up. really hard to pick it's there's so many variables that are going to determine it so it's it's a toss-up all right that's gonna do it for us everybody have a great week we'll be back on thursday go jets